0: Thank you for joining me for Soulful Conversations with my community of fellow travelers, exploring the heart, the mind, and the globe. These conversations highlight what travel really means for the world. Soul of Travel honors the passion and dedication of the people making a positive impact in tourism. Each week, I'll be speaking to women who are tourism professionals, world travelers, and leaders in their communities. We'll explore how travel has changed them and how that has rippled out and inspired them to change the world. These conversations are as much about travel as they are about passion and living life with purpose, chasing dreams, building businesses, and having the desire to make the world a better place. This is a community of people who know travel is more than a vacation. It is an opportunity for personal awareness and it is a vehicle for change. We are thought leaders, action takers, and heart-centered change makers. I'm Christine Weinbrenner-Eyrick, and this is the Soul of Travel. Molly Busby is the co-founder of Arctic Hive, and she has been empowering leaders and coaching others through experiential education and yoga since 2004. She is a driven entrepreneur with the spirit of a summer camp counselor and a kind Midwestern smile. Molly is a seasoned yoga and meditation teacher and off-grid home builder with her husband, Sean. Wherever they are, the Busbys choose to live close to the land, off the grid, and pursue their life's work. The pair started riding on insulin, and several years later, Molly shifted her focus towards Yoga Hive Studios. She and Sean built their first dynamic off-the-grid homestead in the heart of Whitefish, Montana, and this property has been featured on HGTV and the DIY Network, Discovery Channel, Yahoo News, Daily Mail, and more. They've also built off-grid homesteads in Homer, Alaska, and Arctic Hive, Alaska, which they now call home. In our conversation, Molly and I discuss mindfulness in business, living life aligned with your values, dreaming big dreams, and off-grid living. She starts by sharing about her Yoga of Business podcast, Applying the Yoga Sutras to Business, which lays the perfect foundation for the rest of our time together. Molly has a passion for life and community that are infectious and I know you'll be as inspired by her today as I have been since getting to know her when I took my yoga teacher training with her and the Yoga Hive team. If you are curious about Arctic Hive and taking in the northern lights while practicing yoga in the transparent Zen Den, then you can visit the Lotus Sojourn's website to find out how you can join me and Molly for my Arctic Sojourn in March of 2023. Join me now for my soulful conversation with Molly Busby. Welcome to Soul of Travel podcast. I am so excited today to be bringing Molly Busby to the show and to talk about mindfulness and business, living aligned with your values, dreaming big, huge dreams, and off-grid living, which is so many fun things that we get to to talk about today that are pretty unique um, in this space. So Molly, thank you so much for joining me.
1: Thanks for having me. I'm so happy to be here.
0: Just for our listeners, a quick connection between Molly and I. I feel like two years ago, I don't. I don't, you would always think I could figure out timelines before I talk, but timelines don't seem like they really exist anymore. I wanted to reconnect to my yoga practice and. I was really like hemming and hawing about committing myself to it and very aligned with this conversation. I asked the universe for a sign like after taking a class at Yoga Hive in Montana. And I was like, I feel like this feels like the place for me. But I just can't trust my own intuition. Give me a sign. And I sat in my car and another friend of mine was doing this big yoga giveaway on Instagram. And I didn't even know what she was giving away. But I just was supporting her. And I'm like, you're awesome. And then she texts me. She's like, like you just won this yoga mat and this yoga block and yoga towel and I was like okay universe that's a pretty good sign
1: so I ended
0: up signing up for the training and um, I'm so so grateful because this community has really shifted a lot of things for me and that time and I'm just so grateful for the connection so Molly I would love to just give you a moment to introduce yourself and let our listeners know a little bit more about you.
1: Yay. Well, I'm so happy to be here. My name is Molly Busby. I lived in above the Arctic Circle or in the Arctic Circle of Alaska. Um, uh, My husband and I run an off-grid retreat center called Arctic Hive. And people always ask, how did you get the hive? It's Busby. But also bees are a really big symbol in, in my life. They represent community among many other things. Uh, and that's really what I've spent my life doing. Right after I met my husband just 12 years ago, we started a nonprofit called Riding on Insulin. Sean had started it a long time ago prior to meeting me. Uh, It's ski and snowboard camps for kids with type 1 diabetes, as well as other action sports. And so we've been doing that uh, as a part of our world in different capacities for over 12 years. And then Through the Along the way, I also found my yoga practice. I kind of out of nowhere, I wanted to do yoga to meet friends. And that, I mean, this is the really short version, but that spurred into an amazing journey of opening yoga studios, creating communities. Now I run teacher trainings, 200-hour trainings, soon to be 300-hour trainings. And I'm just combining all of these things now because of all of the virtual yoga that's happening. It's been amazing not only to be able to be in Alaska, be home with my family and teach, but also now bringing people to Alaska so that I can teach yoga in person really far north in Alaska in the Brooks Range. So I'm really happy to be here. i really ha- excited to have this conversation. Yeah,
0: thank you. Well, I think a great place to start, one of the things that really resonated for me in our work together was um, listening to your yoga business podcast series that you had um, talking about how you can apply the yoga sutras to business. And I just thought it was such a unique perspective and a unique way of looking at business. And for me, I think I've always had a lot of resistance personally to Thinking about business because of how I felt about like the really masculine energy, or like just felt out of alignment with my personal character. Like it felt kind of extractive or one sided, and I couldn't really get my head around business. For me, I always was trying to find my space in business where I felt like it was something that was mutually beneficial, where I was creating something. That was coming from me supporting others. And just when I listened to this, it kind of took a lot of that like negativity and resistance I had and made me really think about that businesses can be something that are a positive entity and can contribute to others. So I was just wondering if you could share a little bit about how that came to you and then maybe walk us through some of those ideas so people could maybe see how that might apply to their work or even make that transition for people to to come become more spiritually connected I guess to their work.
1: Awesome. yeah, I'd love to talk about it. It's so the podcast that I created is called the Yoga of Business and it's actually a really great starting point for my journey and kind of talking about how my life has influenced my work. Uh, at, really early on, I decided I didn't want to work for other people. I've always had an entrepreneurial spirit spirit from it as you know a child. I used to we used to do like coat check at parties that my parents would have and we we made like a good amount of money. And we had like all of these notebooks or we'd keep track of stuff anyway. So business has always been in my life. Both of my parents are entrepreneurs, and so it was it's just in my blood and it, it's in Sean's blood as well, my husband. And so in terms of, you know, when I first got into business, really nonprofit life was my first experience of starting my own, it's not even my own business, nonprofits belong to the world, but starting a business, something from the ground up. And like you just shared, I think so many business owners go through this, just especially in, you know, a a yoga type field, you go through this inner turmoil of like, well, here's the business side of me, but then here's me doing all the things that I love. I just have to do this stuff. I have to get it over with. Sometimes it's dramatic. And I just it's almost like, and and I've always kind of felt like this. I have these aspects of myself that feels like I'm living like a double life or a triple life. Like I, I used to go to summer camp as a kid and I loved being in the outdoors. I led backpacking and canoeing trips for like anywhere from two to 17 days out in the wilderness in the, in Northern Wisconsin and the UP of Michigan. And so that part of myself, I kind of like let it slide. And I got into journalism and fashion. And that's the time in my life when I met Sean. So I had these like double lives. And then we got together, I moved out West. So really the catalyst and I'm backtracking a little bit, but this is just kind of part of the story. The catalyst for my, anything I know about travel started when I met Sean, I did not have a passport when I met Sean. I think I was 23 at the time. Sean had been all over the world, almost to all seven continents. And I was like, okay, cool. I'll get a passport. And then, you know, he was like, well, do you want to move out West? <laughs> I was like, sure, no big deal. And we originally, we've spent a couple of time in a couple of different areas. We lived in central Utah and I didn't even know what Utah looked like. Honestly, uh, we lived in Montana after that. I also had no idea what Montana looked like before I went there. So really, Sean, and this is kind of like a thread in my whole story, like he has this sense of adventure and it's not that I don't, I definitely do, but he's the one with these ideas and I've gotten more and more ideas as the years go on, but I would, you know, I would have never chosen to move. I would have lived my whole life in Madison, Wisconsin, which is an amazing place to be and to grow up and to live. So anyway, we moved out West and Sean and I met, um, it's a really lovely story. Also very sad story. Uh, we met at a funeral of a young boy. His name was Jesse. He died from at the age of 13 because of complications with type 1 diabetes. And so the reason I met Sean was Sean was giving the eulogy at Jesse's funeral. And I worked with Jesse's mom at the time at a women's magazine. And so we were brought together. Michelle, Jesse's mom, introduced us at the funeral. And it just kind of, you know, as they say, the rest was history. But actually, we just started dating and the rest really was history. And part of the reason we started the initial business, and I think a lot of business owners can relate to this is, I mean, I think, you know, in the on the TV shows, people are like, I'm gonna start a business and make a million bucks. Right. But I think a lot of us in small business, we start because of some magical spark in our life where we realize, oh my gosh, this is what I want to do. And that's absolutely what happened. Sean at the funeral said he hadn't been doing these Camps that he called riding on insulin at the time. And he vowed at the funeral to restart those for Jesse. And I mean, of course, I, I was like, Oh my gosh, this is amazing. And then at getting to know Sean and moving out West and being closer to him and learning what he had done and, and what we could do with this organization. I was, I was pumped. It was just the perfect reason. And Jesse really had brought us together. That's really the way we saw it. And so. I looked at Sean after about six months of living out west or a couple months. And I was like, what about that riding on insulin thing? What are we going to do? And we had had some contacts that, you know, really wanted us to run a camp in, in Utah. And I had never seen one before. So we ran one in December of 2010. That was the first camp I just incorporated at the time, uh, a, a corporation. And then we applied to be a nonprofit, um, right around that time as well but after i saw it i was like cuz it you know obviously Sean knew what to do and i had been to camp but not to ri- a riding an insulin camp before so to see it happen and to organize it and be like whoa these kids living with type 1 diabetes coming together and and getting to be feel normal for the day cuz they are normal they just have an invisible disease but coming together and sharing stories and you know, sharing the hard times of anybody living with a chronic disease. It was just beyond, I was, I was blown away. And so that experience really, number one, lighted, lit this fire in within me, like we need to do this. You know, Sean had a job at the time and because I had just moved, I was in between jobs and I thought, I'm going to, I'm going to make this my career. And, you know, I did. It took a couple of years, but we got the nonprofit off the ground. We were running camps in three countries. Uh, we still would be if it wasn't if it was COVID, um, the US, Canada, and New Zealand. We had, at one point, we had a staff of five. And this is like, you know, years, five to seven years in of being the executive director of this organization, raising, you know, half a million dollars every single year to be able to put on these camps across the country, employ people, give back to kids. Uh, really, it, it was amazing. And starting a nonprofit is no different than starting any other small business. There are those moments where, I mean, it just consumes your life and you feel like you have to be almost a different person to make some of these business decisions and the hard decisions. And on top of that, asking people for money, which was a really, which we're all doing, whether we're a nonprofit or not, we're all putting our proposition out there because money you know, uh, I had a consultant tell me this in the beginning because of course we wanted to do these camps for free. And when we did that, people weren't as likely to show up. And I had this consultant, he said, Molly, cause I was like, well, I, I don't need, I don't need the money. We'll just, you know, we'll just keep doing this. And it's the point everybody gets to when they're like, I don't need to make a living. I just, I'm going to keep giving back to these people and I'll just figure my own stuff out. Right. And he said, Molly, if you aren't running these camps because you can't sustain a life, no one's going to get these camps. And I was like, dang. (laughs) Dang. Okay. That's, that's like such a powerful perspective. And that really shifted it. You know, it's not like you just, you don't want to be cutthroat because you're giving back and you need to be able to live, right? We all need to be able to sustain a lifestyle so we can support our family, whatever that looks like. And so to having this passion project turn into a career, that's where everything really shifted. And so like flash forward, I started yoga hive which is a yoga studio that began in whitefish montana after sean and i moved there and we moved in 2013 it started yoga hive in 2015 because i just looked out into the community at the time and there were some great yoga studios but I, for me as somebody I, I don't live with chronic disease so i feel at home and riding on insulin but also i have this side project of yoga and i just love it and i was like i don't feel at home when i walk in anywhere i want to feel like you know when you walk in somewhere, you're like, yeah, these, these are my people. This is, this is where I want to be. And so I was like, well, I'll just create it. And it was really fast how it happened. It was within a month of deciding. I was like, well, might as well start a yoga studio because I had observed my best friend. Uh, she opened a yoga studio in Denver a year prior. And I got to really walk that journey with her. And this is part of it too, is community and, and using your resources. And man, I had great business resources. And I had literally a person who I'm, who I love, who I watched walk through the same path. And I thought, dang, I could totally do this. So I opened Yoga Hive. And that's really when I started to dive more into yoga and into trainings and learning more about the philosophy and and just everything that goes behind and beyond just making shapes with our body. That's when I was really like, whoa, how do I reconcile these two things? You know, how do I Show up in business authentically and also follow my dreams, but also do things right. Like, there's a certain thing that you learn in business where when you mess up legally, contractually, insurance wise, I mean, the stuff people don't want to think about, even financially, money wise, when you screw up, you have to learn from that if you're going to continue doing what you love. And it's the stuff that especially people are like, oh, yoga people, we don't, you know, want to, we don't want to worry about finances and whatever. It is empowering to get it together and learn from your mistakes and be able to say, yes, I'm going to show up in my authentic, with my authentic voice. And also, yeah, we're going to sign a contract. We're going to get clear about what we're doing here in this partnership. It's so empowering to get into that position. So flash forward more, Starting yoga studios, I opened three in Montana. I worked close in partnership with Blaine and in Colorado, who owns Yoga Head, Colorado. And then I opened one in Wisconsin as well. And along the way, what I learned was I could take this philosophy and apply it to my work in business, learning how to be detached from this, what we say, like, I don't know if people like this term or not, like business baby. You know, I personally don't have kids right now. Uh, I have dogs. I have businesses all over the country. And for me, I work with a lot of women and I work with a lot of moms, both in riding on insulin and through Arctic Hive, through Yoga Hive. Anytime we create something, whether it's as intense, I would say as creating a human or intense as creating a business or creating a hobby or building a home, right? These are all creations. And so Really, when we take it down to that tiny level, creation, anything we create has to go through the same cycles of creation, sustaining, and then death, right? It's inevitable, even in the journey of a business. And so applying these principles of like detaching from like, okay, is my business still relevant? Right? Like with Yoga Hive, when we went through the pandemic, I was traveling. It was super unsustainable for me as a human. I had been traveling once, sometimes twice a month. Across the country to different studios, running trainings. It was fun, but I wasn't spending any time with my family, you know. And I just kind of said, Well, you know, we'll move to Alaska, I'll just figure it out. And I was in no rush to figure it out because I had no idea what I was gonna do. And then when everything shut down and everything went online, it was like the universe said, Here you go. This is your chance. Take this, run with it. And this is how you're gonna be able to have a family and Operate this business, and it's those little clues, right? Those little—if you're not paying attention, if you're not, you know, meditating or having that self practice every day to be able to notice the signs, you don't see. You don't see them, and I saw it. (laughs) And I was like, "This is the answer." And then, flash forward, we've been doing 200-hour trainings, 100% on Zoom for like two and a half years, and people say, "Oh, it's so much time on Zoom." But I don't know. Maybe you can attest. Like, it's magical how close. You feel to people like right away. So all of these principles now, where I am today, running a retreat center, still running trainings, I still own a studio in, in Wisconsin. I've since sold the Montana studio to a dear friend and colleague of mine. And just creating these communities in different ways and still working with writing on Insulin as well. I think the biggest thing that I've taken away is that, you know, we feel so disparate in these um parts of our lives but there is this opportunity for us to kind of seamlessly weave them all together. We can't really compartmentalize our lives. We can really try, you know, like I'm going to come home. I'm not going to think about work. That is for what I do at the office and this is for my family. Yeah, I think that's one mentality, but what's really worked for me is to just have boundaries. That was a big one, but also not be afraid to allow all parts of my life to really intertwine. And when something doesn't fit, that's usually something to do with me. You know, that's something I've got to sit with and I've got to be like, okay, what's not working? And so just integrating these teachings and, you know, you can listen to the podcast. It's 10 episodes, uh, specifically the Yamas and the Niyamas, applying each of those to our life and business. And it's just powerful reminders that I use every day. And and if you've never heard of the Yoga Sutras before, it's okay. You don't need to know anything about Sanskrit or yoga. It's just really powerful principles that you'll find even woven through lots of different spiritual and uh, different traditions, even within the self-help world as well. So yeah, that was a long answer. But I think that also weaves in a lot of my, a lot of my journey.
0: Hi, it's Christine, interrupting this episode for just a moment to make sure you know you still have time to join our 2022 Lotus Book Sojourn. This is a unique journey exploring the heart, the mind, and the globe through the pages of nine specially selected books written by inspiring female authors. Your journey includes two guided virtual discussions each month with a community of like hearted women, as well as weekly journaling prompts and reflection and an assigned travel companion for each book in the journey. Last year, women said this was one of the most surprising and impactful experiences they had. Join us for rich discussion, meaningful connection, and an opportunity for exploration from the comfort of your home or wherever you might be in 2022. Your next opportunity to join us is in April for a three or six month experience. Visit the website at lotussojourns.com backslash book-sojourn to join today. Now back to our soulful conversation. Yeah, I love that. Um, I, I, Well, the one thing that first stuck out to me, and I think will resonate with people listening, especially um, in the area of travel, where I focus in sustainable travel and community-based tourism and with a lot of colleagues who are giving back through their travel businesses, the idea of not being able to be cutthroat and give back at the same time, or not being able to much like you said of, of hearing that powerful sentence, like, not thinking that it's okay to earn money, if you're trying to give that somehow those things can't be, they can't go together. And also hearing you say that, that, you know, if you're not being able to sustain what you're doing because you're just giving, then it's going to go away and no one's going to benefit from it. Um, I feel Mm -hmm. like that's a huge permission slip to be able to say, you know, we have to do this. Um, It is a business. And Mm -hmm. I think also, I think listening to your podcast, but thinking about like, that money is an exchange of energy, right? And so for me, this is a a huge space that I've spent focusing on is, I am putting my energy out, and I'm putting my love out, and I'm putting my time out. And the way that our society, like returns, that is the energy of money. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is something too. where if you look at things through this perspective, you can find some ease with whatever that guilt thing is associated between earning money, forgiving love.
1: Well, and I, I actually think it's something you said right before I started talking, which was this like masculine energy, right? That we often experience with business. I think like to encapsulate all of it, it's so powerful that point because masculine energy and feminine energy irregardless of gender identity we're talking about just two types of energies and they complement one another one cannot exist without the other and actually the word yoga means union or to yoke bring together and really what we're doing in yoga whether it's philosophy or asana or breath work whatever we're bringing together these two parts of ourselves this masculine and feminine energy and you hit it on the head like we're in this masculine dominated world, right? You're like, I'm getting into business. I need to make budgets and I need to bring in money. (laughs) And like, I need to somehow convince my partner that this is a good idea, right? I know that's another thing, but once we figure out this feminine piece and, you know, especially as someone who identifies as a woman and really has been, for me, I've been dropping a lot into this feminine energy and really feeling, feeling the energy and being able to sit with it and, and recognizing the receiving is not always money, but also receiving joy, right? Like I know people that are teaching yoga and have never wanted to get paid and that's feeding them that that works great. Mm -hmm. And then also people who start yoga studios or any business in order to pay the bills, there has to be money coming in, but also there has to be joy because there can be tons of money and no joy. So money is just like you said, and and like we say, a form of energy. And so all we're doing right there is just balancing that feminine energy of like receiving and then this masculine outward energy of giving, giving, giving. And as long as they're somewhat in balance, you know, on a day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month, year-to-year basis, then we're going to find some of that balance in our life. Totally.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I just, it makes me so happy to think about things in this context. So I really appreciate you sharing that. You mentioned um, when you were telling us a bit about your story, kind of your transition out West, and then moving to Whitefish. And this is kind of the beginning of your off-grid journey. But I would love for you to share a little bit more about, um, about how that happened for you. I think this is something that when I share about you, people are very interested and curious about. Um, and not a lot of us have had this sort of experience, even someone growing up in Montana and like camping and spending all that time. That's one thing, but committing your lifestyle (laughs) to this is another. So, yeah. Yeah. So I would love to hear like, what sparked that for you? And then what kind of made this a goal for you to set out and create this
1: lifestyle? Awesome. Yeah. I would love to answer this question. So, uh, oh my goodness. So I will start off by saying I, in my blood and bones is a deep love for the outdoors. I always, I went to summer camp every year for like 15 years growing up. I worked at a Girl Scout camp for many years and attended camp. Um, I worked at Camp Manitouche YNCA camp in Northern Wisconsin, uh, leading trips. And so the outdoors Is this? I just love it. I love it so much. And what was really interesting, like I mentioned briefly, is like I had kind of gone away from the outdoors to pursue a career. But actually, that's what happened. And I was like, now, like I actually remember writing in a journal one time. I don't think I can make a career out of camp. And I'll never forget it because I truly believed that. And we talked about that as a staff at camp. Like, well, eventually, I'm gonna have to go get a career. You know, there's this idea of like a career, but then also like, you know, campus is something you do from time to time. So when I met Sean, Sean is a professional snowboarder, uh, backcountry snowboarder. So at the time and, and even now, not less with COVID, but he had been traveling the world on these snowboard expeditions, climbing up mountains, you know, with no chairlifts and snowboarding down them. And I mean, it was a really steep learning curve, pun intended for me, who was a, skier, I'm going to go skier at the time from Wisconsin, really to get up to his ability level, learning how to ski from your partner is a whole other story for another podcast. Um, But really, it brought us what brought us together was the travel experience, because I was, of course, I'm always up for the adventure. And so we started traveling right away. Like I moved out west. And then a month later, we he was going to New Zealand. And I was like, sure, I'll go. And let's go to the Cook Islands. And then let's go to Australia. And like, My parents were like, what? And I was like, trust me, it's cool. And so that really, you know, the travel bug really ignited something in me. And we've, we experienced everything on that first trip. We got food poisoning together. Uh, we had to actually, it was so bad. We went to the hospital in the Cook Islands together. And I got to then land in New Zealand and meet amazing people, right? Like it was just mind blowing. If you can think back to that first time that you have gone, if you've had the privilege to go out of the country that you live in, that first time, like I'd gone to Canada, but at the you know it was before passports were even needed. So this was my first time on a fourteen-hour flight, and I was like, whoa, whoa, you know, like everything was new and like taking pictures and meeting people. And what's so cool is like we have met so many people on our travels. I've been to five continents myself with Sean. He's been to seven continents, almost two times each. All of to ski and snowboard, and so. The off-grid stuff, when it really started to happen, was we decided to go to uh, the Yukon territory of Canada. And this was in 2012, I believe. And we wanted to take this expedition to, it's a really, well, there's not a lot of towns in the Yukon, if you've ever been there or driven through on the Alaskan Highway. We flew up to Whitehorse and we stayed at this little cabin in the woods and it was totally what we call dry cabin. So no plumbing, no water. Got a little um, you know, wood stove that heats the place. You cook on the wood stove, he's an outhouse, you like bring in these jugs of water. And I just remember getting there and I had no idea what to expect. This was something, not that I didn't want to go, but again, Sean is this he finds these places that are just like what well, I have no idea how he does it, but I'm really fortunate to to be able to tag along and I was like up for the challenge. And so we had to like manage how much water we had in these jugs. And then the people who own the place were like, Yeah, let us know if you need more water, we'll bring over a jug. And it was like as simple as that. And I remember we would sit we were sitting in the cabin looking outside, and the northern lights were happening. And I was like, We're in this cabin with no plumbing, no running water, and it's great. And we both looked at each other and we were like, we could do this. We were playing Uno. We love oh, Skippo. Skippo or Uno, one of those like silly card games which we still play to this day. And I was like, this is amazing. And I had no idea how we would possibly do that. But you know, it was fun to talk about like, yeah, we could totally do this. And then we did a little bit more traveling. Uh, and we decided to go to Kyrgyzstan. And this was, I believe, at the end of 2012. And we were married by this time, we got married in 2011. Uh, pretty soon, we met in 2010, got married in 2011, and then did all this really big travel in 2012. And we went to Kyrgyzstan, which is in Central Asia, it's one of the most mountainous countries in the world, which is what drew Sean to it. And we had connected with some people and we decided we actually wanted to do a little bit of giving back. So, you know, yes, we were, I was still running, riding on insulin at the time, but, you know, we took a little vacation time in order to bring over skis and snowboards to this really amazing community in uh, a place called Arslanbob, Kyrgyzstan. And they were working on getting ski and snowboard tourism going. In order to support the economy of this town. And so we brought over a bunch of snowboards and solar panels and Osprey backpacks and from all these sponsors that Sean and I worked with at the time. And really what we realized on the trip was like, wow, it is so cool to give back to places where you travel and to not just like, and I, this is a mentality that I have today that one of my teachers, you know, brought up and like we we go on these vacations from our life to get away from our life. And then by the time we get halfway through the vacation, we're already dreading returning to our life, right? This is what we do. And man, going on this trip and being able to be there with these kids, we didn't speak any of their language. You know, that was just not something we had time to learn before going over there. We knew a couple words, but the language of skiing and snowboarding is a language that we speak and it's universal. And to be able to see the smiles on these kids' faces, like I'm not joking, there was no chairlifts. They insisted that we ride these horses and get up to the top of the ski hill. There was a whole train of kids behind us, walking, pumped to walk, right? And we were like, no, like just going along, and they were just like, no, this is what we do, and we were just on this adventure. And seeing these kids' faces when they strapped into their snowboards, we had, you know, Shauna had helped put these bindings on. They had received this, you know, a couple shipments of this stuff from another gal who had gone over previous to us. And we kind of completed this collection of things that they needed in order to snowboard and ski. And it was amazing. We got to ski and backcountry ski and snowboard in the world's largest walnut for us. We got to see, uh, yurts or gir, uh as they call them over there and life in the round. That was a whole new thing for us as well. And we still keep in touch with a lot of these people that we met over there. And that just really showed us like, you know, we had been kind of skiing, snowboard and like working with sponsors and it almost was becoming this like business, right. And this documenting of our trips. But at that point we were like, Whoa, travel is so much more than just traveling for ourselves right? to be able to give back to a place. So I think that really got us excited about it. Then when we moved to Whitefish, Montana, we specifically were looking for a property where we could move off-grid uh, we found you know a home on 10 acres and so it was like a start a place where we could live while we built this off-grid space and we built a yurt and that was an experience none of us had any none of us neither Sean or I had any building experience pretty much at all like my dad was a carpenter growing up for the like kind of a side job and so I think I had it in my blood but <laughs> Sean Sean not so much although he learned way fast uh, and so did I and we built a yurt which is like a kit you know we learned how to build a platform and then we uh, the following year we built a tiny home uh, or a small cabin and we got to do that and just learned so much building a home is like building anything and the people that you build that home with you have to work as a team and they say like one of the the second most biggest causes, I don't, don't quote me on this, but somebody told me this one time, like they're like the second cause for divorce in the U S is building a home together, not even physically building a home together, just like hiring somebody to build out. And I think for us, the partnership that we had, I mean, we had some big obstacles at that time in our life. And we were also building this home. And after we built that and, and we were living off grid, so no plumbing, um, we created our own power from solar. Uh, no, like I said, no plumbing, no running water. We were hauling in all of our own water. We would snow machine in in the winter because it was too steep of a road to plow. So we really got to experience this for years in Montana. But like, as Sean will say, this was like our starter home, our starter homestead, uh, before moving to Alaska because it was something he always wanted to move to Alaska. And like, like I said, I mean, I've never been closed down to moving or adventures. And once I saw Alaska, I was like, Whoa. And just the culture of people in Alaska. Alaska is really huge. You should look at a map overlaying Alaska and the rest of the U.S. It's like, you know, driving from Montana to Texas or something. It's, it's huge, mm-hmm. but getting to see these different parts of Alaska and getting to be in a place where off-grid living isn't weird. <laughs> Not that I don't mind being a weird kid. I always kind of have been going to summer camp every year, get like, you know, loving getting dirty and whatever but in Alaska, you know, not, not everybody lives off the grid, but homesteading and off grid living. I mean, it's a way of life. I mean, obviously people, um, and have been doing this for so long. And so to be able to be in a place where not only can we feasibly make this happen, but also have so many folks to mentor us in, in the ways, because there's so many more obstacles in Alaska than there were in, you know, Whitefish, Montana is like a small town, but like way more urban than I would consider anything that we do. You know, here there was, there's, there's a Lowe's, there's a Costco, like right there within, you know, 20 minutes of, of Whitefish. And so moving to Alaska, that's where we really, it's like everything prior to that moment gave us the tools to do what we did here, especially at Arctic Hive, you know, buying a plot of land in the Brooks Range, seven hours from the nearest town. I mean, I, I don't think I ever thought it was like crazy or beyond our means. And again, it was a place Sean found and he had been watching the Brooks Range for years prior to us ever moving to Alaska. Um and he was like, Hey, let's go look at this. Look, there's a piece of property for sale. And so we went up and we looked at it and there's no realtors. We strapped on our backcountry skis. Sean strapped on his flipboard. We skinned out to this property. We had to find we had to have metal detector with us to find the property markers. And we kind of had to get a lay of the land all by ourselves because what, I mean, we could have worked with a realtor, but I'm pretty sure they didn't want to drive the 14 hours round trip just to sell us a flood of property. So we went out there right away. It was just like, when you feel it, then that's the other thing in business and, and, and in all the places that we've, you know, homesteaded or bought property, we've always felt it. You know, that feeling when you go somewhere, even at like, regardless of all the obstacles you have to overcome to either buy that property or build on that property, you just get there and you're like, this is it. This is it. Like, I am prepared to do whatever it takes to make this happen. And so we drove back to Fairbanks after that trip, met with this woman who has owned the property for generations and sat with her at a Wendy's and said, we'd like to buy this. (laughs) And so she sold us, uh, the land in, Wiseman, Alaska. It's a tiny village of anywhere from 12 to 20 people. It's a former mining community. It's the subject, if anybody wants to read a book, it's called, uh, there's a book called Arctic Village, uh, written by um a guy that traveled there, Bob Marshall, you might also know that name. He wrote this book about Wiseman Village, and it's this happiest little utopia from like, a long time ago. But the, the vibe still rings true. It's this magical place in the Brooks Range. And starting out to build that, again, everything we had done prior to this point prepared us for what we were going to do. And we knew we had to do it in stages. We didn't know what we were going to build in stages, but we wanted to bring people there. We had gotten that bug of, bringing people to whitefish montana when we were there even with riding on insulin which we still do we do these for the nonprofit these coaches camps where we bring a bunch of adults with type 1 diabetes to these amazing locations like whitefish montana and we do a whole week of skiing snowboarding uh leadership facilitation building skills and working with kids and so that had been going i'd run a couple yoga retreats on our property with the yurt and and everything in whitefish and i was like i want to bring people together This is what we do. So moving to Alaska, we built it in stages. We built our first structure in Wiseman at Arctic Hive and it's a, it's a dome. We call it the igloo. It's a 20 foot dome. It's, it's a kit. So again, starting off with a kit, uh, anybody who wants to build off the grid, starting off with a kit structure is, is the easiest. You learn how to build a platform, which by the way, is a whole other thing. Because we live on permafrost up in northern Alaska, and which means that there's ice below the tundra. The tundra is like this warm blanket, over, well, not warm, but like a blanket of sorts (laughs) that lays over the earth. And then there's frozen ground underneath that. So people are like, well, are you going to dig a well someday? No, we can't. Because there's like a whole bunch of ice underneath us. And so building on permafrost has just been an amazing experience. Sean is like the most amazing researcher in the world. And so he is like this like logistical researcher and he's like, okay, this is what we need to do. And then I, my role is like, okay, how are we going to make this happen? Like logistics, packing finances? Like that's my, that's my strength. And then when we both get there, like putting it together and actually building, I mean, that is just team building that is straight up like summer camp material is what we had (laughs) to go through. And, and we really had to look at it just like that. Right. Like, getting to see someone in all stages of frustration while you're building a home you just have to be willing to walk through that fire over and over again and like work on your relationship while you're building it's crucial this is why people crumble and and there's no sh- you know shame in and things crumbling because also destruction is part of any relationship any business any whatever so it showed us a lot about each other you know we made a lot of mistakes in our in not mistakes but like you know, we went through a lot of stuff in Montana the first time around when we built the yurt and the cabin. And I really felt like in Montana or excuse me, in Alaska, it was like our do over. Like we had done it and we wanted to do it again in a place where there was no other people. And at the time we had filmed for the cabin, we had filmed with Discovery Channel for it's a show called Building Off Grid. So we had cameras on us too, like to aggravate everything. So in, in Wiseman, there were no cameras. We were fortunate enough to have a couple amazing friends fly up, help us with the project. That was great too. And it was really our chance to do it on our terms, to work as a team, to figure out what it took. And so we built this dome. And then honestly, we were, this is a great testament to detachment in business. We were supposed to bring out a huge group of 10 retreat attendees in March of 2020. We had it planned, ready to go. We were actually gonna stay at a, a lodge in the village and then hike up to Arzikai to this dome we had built and do yoga. And then we all know what happened in March of twenty twenty. So obviously that didn't happen. And that was an opportunity for us. We were so fortunate for it to be an opportunity. It didn't seem like one because obviously we had to refund all these people's retreat fees and cancel it and just say, What what the heck are we gonna do? Sean Sean living with multiple chronic diseases and COVID being a very serious situation for anybody with, you know, a situation like him, especially, we were like, we're not going to travel. And that was huge. We we were on a track where we would really carve out at least two times a year where we were taking a, like a two week immersion into another culture or another part of Alaska um, to ski and snowboard and to explore. And so for us to say, well, we're going to just hang out here. What are we? Obviously, you realize we're busy people. Like you know, we just like to stay busy. We're like, what are we going to do? So once we got everything under control, I actually had to close two of the yoga studios that I had opened in Montana due to COVID hardship. That was not fun. And you know, we just kind of relooked at like, how can we figure this out in a way to still continue on our path? And we thought, well, if we're going to be in Alaska for the indefinite future, let's build our and so that's what we did. We built three 12 by 12 cabins. Now we built like a 12. I can't remember a Montana cabin. I think it's 12 by 20 that we built in three months. One its like two stories. We built three 12 by 12 cabins in, I'll say like four to six months. But really the the building of them, the raising of them was two weeks, all three of them. And I have never done something so dramatic like that. I, the sense of accomplishment I can not even think about, like we hand hauled all of that material from where we park in the village. We had to hand haul it up to Arctic Um In the winter we snow machine in, but in the summer we can use wheelers sometimes, but to preserve the tundra and the permafrost, it's way better if we carry things. So 75 sheets of plywood on my back, carrying them up this hill. like We almost broke ourselves, but we didn't. And the sense of accomplishment and also just, the ability to really have your hands on all the material, uh, and, and getting to learn three times in a row how to build. So we hand built everything on Arcticai. flash forward. Um, we built a dome this last summer, a geodesic dome specifically for yoga. It's the yoga studio or the Zen Den. Sometimes we call it. Um, and it just really completed the property. We have a fourth cabin, um, that we finished this year. And so now we have four guest cabins. We have the igloo, which is our common space. Uh, and then we have our geodesic dome, which is the yoga space. And so we have future plans, but living off the grid, it's really inspired by travel and then really inspired by basically paying forward the experience that we got in Kyrgyzstan. They showed us a way of life that we felt so fortunate to see. And then getting to know the way of life here in northern Alaska, because, I mean, again, we're both newbies to Alaska compared to all so many locals here who have lived here their whole life. And so getting to experience this way of life and then steward others into learning about the Arctic, why it is ground zero for climate change is so important to learn about, because honestly, people have to see it to appreciate it. We know this, right? If you don't know it exists, how can you appreciate it? But what's going on in the Arctic should concern the entire planet. And so if we can bring people in a small, sustainable way up to a place like Arctic I, where you get to see the Northern Lights and you sit right under the Aurora Oval. So really the Northern Lights during, you know, about August 21st to April 21st, they're out every night. It's just a matter of how strong they are, whether there's cloud cover, et cetera. And so to be able to be in that magical place and be comfortable because again, we were made so comfortable in places like Kyrgyzstan and even in that cabin in the Yukon. If you're comfortable, you're not worrying about your survival. You're not worrying about where your water's gonna come from or whatever, but you're off grid and you're experiencing that. And then you can look around and say, Oh my gosh, this is worth preserving. This place is important because it is. And there's a lot that is threatening the Arctic at this at this moment. And if people don't know about it, they're not gonna know that it needs it needs help. It needs our help. So, anyway, uh, again, the long version of how I became an off-grid home builder uh, and retreat center owner. So. Yeah.
0: No, I love it. I'm entranced. So the whole, I'm, I'm so grateful for every moment that you shared, and I love so much thinking about that version of you. Like, how can summer can't be life? No way, that's happening. And now you're like. I totally get to live that every day. And not only that, but like in this place that people can't even really convey and like in their mind, they can't even imagine what that would be like. And you kind of painted the picture of what this living is like talking about um, for those of uh, those of you that aren't familiar, this seven to nine hour drive, depending on road conditions um, all the way from Fairbanks just to get where you can park, and then getting to the property. And so for people who want to travel, like knowing, getting there is an epic part of the journey, right? Like this is part of the process, which I think is also so magical when you can then bring in like your yoga lens is like, it's not about like us flying to Fairbanks, driving 20 minutes to our convenient retreat, like having this moment, like, this is going to be a commitment you're making to yourself simply to get yeah. there. Right. And, yes. and how can we use that as a part of our journey and the experience? And so I love that that is like literally baked into what it's going to take to, to be yeah. in this journey. And then even like you get there and you're like, okay, phase one complete. Now we are going to get to the property and what's that going to look like? And for you in your daily life, like I I'm so you, for you listening, follow Archive, follow uh, Molly of the North on Instagram because seeing these videos all the time of what it takes to <laughs> live <laughs> are amazing.
1: It's, it's <laughs> so funny to like normalize some of these things because I don't even think like in the beginning, you know, I was I would call my girlfriend, I have these five girlfriends from home that I'm super close with, and I would I would call them and they'd be like, "So can you just can you how do you shower?" And I was like in my head I was like, "What?" Like, Oh, right. This is different. And you just, you normalize so many things about this way of life. But what you said, it's like, this is not, this is not a vacation from your life. This is like an immersion, you know, an entirely new way of life. And it's, it helps you put into perspective the things that really matter because we can get all worked up. If I got worked up about my commute from the grocery store or from the hospital Back to where we live, to home in Arctic Heights. If I got all wrapped up and worked up about that, I there was no, there's no way I'd ever make it. you know like you said, seven to nine hours. There's times when, when there's semi truck. It's a primarily a road service. Is we call it the Hall Road or the Dalton Highway, and it's primarily a Bay at the top of Alaska, and um, from Fairbanks to there. And so there are semi trucks that sometimes took like 15 hours. This was this day like earlier this year where the road was just so bad. So I don't I can't remember if it's like weather it was weather but also road conditions slick conditions trucks need chains it's like it can take anywhere from sometimes it takes six and a half hours, fifteen hours to go just halfway on their journey like we just go halfway up the road to get to Arctic High. so yeah it's all about the experience and you just learn like you just let it go if I get stuck here okay I'm prepared I've prepared for this I've planned for this and then we just we just flow with whatever happens.
0: Yeah, I I love it. It just it seems just like this perfect. Like you said, every part of your life brought you there and enabled you to be there. Like you couldn't have gone from Wisconsin to Arctic; <laughs> you just wouldn't have succeeded. And I think that's so important too for for so many listening, both from an entrepreneurial journey and just a life journey. Like we we cannot get where we're going without. Getting there, like this is this is the part of the journey. Exactly. As we end our call, because I can't believe that we've chatted for almost an hour, which I wish oh, yeah. that I probably had like two or three because we could share so much more. I do want to let listeners know, like they have an opportunity to join us um, for a Lotus Sojourn in March of 2023, and I'm so excited. Um, this feels like kind of full circle for me and my. My yoga journey to be able to get to come up there and um, enjoy your property and bring people to this like magical destination to experience this off-grid living but also to learn about that lifestyle to visit the village and learn from locals and to just kind of be fully immersed like you said not to disconnect from living but to like become fully present in living and so I'm really excited. Um, people, if you're listening, um, on March 7th is when this is going to be officially launching, um, and open for booking, but you can get on our waitlist now. So you can reach out to me, um, via my website and, um, you'll get to meet Molly in real life and get to enjoy all of these cool things that we've been talking about. So Uh, Before we end, I would like you to just share um, for others that might be interested in visiting Arctic Hive or hosting their own retreat, um, how they can find you, uh, where they can find the podcast that we talked about at the beginning of our call. And then we're going to end with our rapid fire questions.
1: Yeah, amazing. Yeah. So if folks want to get, I would love to hear from anyone. Um, My handle on Instagram is Molly, M-O-L-L-I-E of the North. And then Artik is archive AK and it's Arctic. There's two C's <laughs> um, in Arctic. Uh, and then our website is artikhive.com. You can see um, we have retreats and also yoga teacher trainings, immersions, both 200 and soon to be 300 hour trainings, uh, both online and up at archive. And then also, yeah, if you want to get in touch, I'd love to just hear from anybody, any questions you have. And then the podcast is called the yoga of business. You can search my name, Molly Busby in any of your podcasting apps. You can listen to that. And yeah, I'm just so, so thankful. Thank you so much for having me. This is, it's just so fun to chat with people about travel. So.
0: Thank you. Um, And I also just wanted to quickly mention um, for those of you interested in the yoga aspect as well. Molly did mention you can um, take classes virtually, which I love. And, For people either new to yoga or who have a yoga practice, I would strongly encourage um, checking it out because for me, I had been doing yoga for, I don't know, a very long time before I walked into Yoga Hive and was greeted so warmly in that community by Shell and felt what I had been waiting to feel from yoga. Like I had this notion that it was more than like, like you said, the poses you were putting yourself in, like I knew there was and had had like a few teachers that like sprinkled in this, the spirituality of it, this, the, like the personal discovery. Um, And I was like, that is what I want. And um, so for people that might be curious about that magic, I would just highly recommend it. Like doing yoga with molly my very favorite thing was that the very first like two classes i don't even think we like we were seated the whole time (laughs) and i'm like this is yoga i'm like oh this is my (laughs) yoga like the breath work and the mind work and the like centeredness like it just was magic so i just want to give a shout out for for that because it really like It'll, it created something different in my life. And I would love for it to to allow that to happen in someone else's life as well.
1: Awesome. Yeah. Thank you.
0: Rapid fire questions. Rapid fire-ish. I'll always add the ish because it's there. What is your favorite book or movie that offers you a travel escape or inspires you to adventure?
1: Oh, oh my gosh. I'm thinking only Arctic related things. Well, Okay. So one of all of another podcast recommendation, learning about the Arctic. There's a podcast called Threshold and it is a really, there's, I think a couple different seasons, really powerful uh, perspective on the Arctic in general, all around the world and the issues that are facing the people of the Arctic. It's, it's amazing. It's so good. It's called Threshold.
0: And then this isn't something I normally ask, but because you are you, how about your favorite yoga book or for someone that wants to tap into that deeper level? What would you say you have to read to just begin that journey? Can you even do that?
1: (laughs) I have an entire massive pile of books in front of me right now. Oh, if I just had to pick one book, you know, okay, let's go simple. You'll probably agree with this. There's a really lovely book if you want more about the yamas and the niyamas. I Everybody who knows me knows I love philosophy. I love poses and and breath work and practice, don't get me wrong, and meditation. But philosophy is like my passion. And so it's called The Yamas and the Niyamas. It's by Deborah Adele. It's so short and it's just these like, it's kind of like my podcast where we take these short little quips and then talk about how do we apply this to our daily life? I really... It's one of the assigned books for our 200-hour training uh, in yoga. And it's just, it's so good. It's a yeah, really good book.
0: I fully agree. And I was hoping you would say that one, but there were so many that we read that were good. And we read that in my um, Lotus book, Sojourn, last year. And everybody was like, can we just stop here and read this book over and over and over again? Because <laughs> yeah. every page, you're just like, oh, that too? And oh, you, God. It's I so good. I know. Yeah, okay. So highly recommend that. Uh what is always in your suitcase or backpack when you
1: travel? Uh an aeropress coffee maker. I actually just I traveled to Redding and Insulin just recently. We're running camps um throughout the month of January and I brought this travel aeropress. It's like a I think it's made a plastic, but it's like a travel, it's like kind of um French press, but really compact, it makes amazing coffee. That is one. And then Montana, we actually have this at Archive too. Uh, organic Grizzly Blend from Montana Coffee Traders. I have yet to find, a. am not opposed to Alaskan coffee, but man, my heart is with Montana Coffee Traders. That coffee is my favorite. So I travel with it actually. all the time.
0: Uh, This conversation is making me sad. I normally go to Whitefish every year for my birthday and I'm not this year. And I'm like, Uh, Oh, it's kind of killing me a little bit. Um, what has been your favorite destination?
1: Oh, favorite. Okay. Well, that's actually easy. Um, it's the first destination that Sean and I will go to when we feel like we can travel internationally again. It is Northern Norway. It's like, I can't believe I haven't mentioned it yet, but it's basically the most magical place. Like other than home at Arctic Hive in the Brooks Range, if if we said we had to move anywhere in the world, we would probably move to Northern Norway and just being able to backcountry ski there and the mountains and the Lingen Alps and then going down to Lofoten and the, all of these places. Oh my gosh, I can't wait to go back. It's amazing. And we have so many uh, dear friends who are up there as well. And to be able to see them and, and break bread with them. And oh my gosh. And the skiing is outrageous in the backcountry there. It's, amaz- it's amazing.
0: Thank you. I love that. I'm like, I would have never had it a desire. And I'm like, oh, maybe I really feel like I need to see that now. Uh, oh my gosh, what, do so you, uh, what do you eat that immediately connects you to a place you've been?
1: Um, that's a, that's a good question. We know
0: Montana coffee, but maybe. (laughs)
1: Yes. Yeah. No, I'm trying to think internationally. Something that we eat. You know, this doesn't really connect. Okay. Food is like really important to me, but, and I love cooking. So I'll, I'll kind of go a different way. My favorite cookbook. Uh, That's what's coming to mind. Is, um, minimalist baker. She's my favorite on Instagram. Her cookbook is huge. It has such good recipes. They're like 10 ingredients or less. Um, lots of plant-based recipes, which I love as well. Um, that for me, food is life and I use that cookbook to cook for all of, I do all the cooking at Archive. And so for me, food right now is all about being at home. Um, not necessarily anywhere else in the world. And so that cookbook is like, and, and her Instagram account is like my go-to for creating really, really good nourishing food for us and for our guests.
0: Yeah, thank you. And I'm glad you mentioned that because I feel like that is going to be one of the like really valuable experiences of that journey is for, because I I know the love that you put into everything and for people to be able to nourish themselves with that food during that experience, I think in and of itself is going to be something that is a real special experience. So um, yeah, who was the person that, well, I think we know the answer to this, but who was the person that inspired and encouraged you to set out and explore the world?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you do know this. My husband, Sean, uh, yeah, he was the one that was like, you want to come to New Zealand? And I was like, what? Okay, <laughs> let me look at a map quick and get a passport.
0: Yes, it's fun. Yeah, I love that. I'm, I'm so happy having this conversation to learn what that really has meant in your life. Um And if you could take an adventure with one person, fictional or real, alive or past, who would it be?
1: You know, okay, this is like kind of sentimental. I would probably have my dad up here and he's a real character, but he has Alzheimer's. And so we took some amazing trips before he was unable to travel anymore. But if I could, um, he really had a huge hand in He helped us build the yurt. He helped just kind of with the whole Montana homestead and never was able to come up to Alaska and won't at this point, but um, it would be so cool. And I'm sure on some level, he does know what we've done, but to show him just the carpentry work that I've been able to learn and do um, because that's really what he did. That's what I remember him doing growing up. And so I just really feel deeply that connection with him. And so if I could, he's, he's a real person, but it would be a fictional trip. But yeah, I think about him all the time.
0: Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Um, thank you for sharing this space with us today. I just love it so much. Um, I feel like our listeners get to really know this, why, like, I have this deep love for you and your joy of living is infectious. And I so appreciate that I have been able to cross paths and share this with everyone
1: else. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for having me. I I love this. I love chatting with you and and everybody out there. Your community, I just know is so authentic. Folks who are generally interested in, in learning and getting out there. These are the types of people that I like to surround myself with. So thank you for creating this community as well. You're welcome.
0: Thank you for listening to The Soul of Travel. I hope you enjoyed the journey. If you love this conversation, I encourage you to subscribe, rate the podcast, and share the episodes that inspire you with others. I am so proud of the way these conversations are bringing together people from around the world. If this sounds like your community, welcome. I am so happy you are here. You can find all the ways you can be a part of the Soul of Travel and Lotus Sojourns community at www.lotussojourns.com. Here you can learn more about Soul of Travel and my guests. You can see details about the transformational sojourns I guide for women, as well as my book Sojourn, which offers an opportunity to explore your heart, mind, and the world through the pages of books specially selected to create a unique journey. I am all about community and would love to connect. You can find me on Facebook at Lotus Sojourns and join our community, the Lotus Sojourns Collective. Or follow me on Instagram, either at Lotus Sojourns or at Soul Travel Podcast. Stay up to date by joining the Lotus Sojourns mailing list. I look forward to getting to know you and hopefully hear your story.